Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is Jasper Joy, a white genderqueer witch, tarot scholar, community chemist, Venusian writer, and elder babe, residing among the rightful homelands of the Eastern Band of Cherokee people, both past and present, also known as Asheville, North Carolina. Their work is defined by open-hearted ethics, neurodivergent experiences, and a blatant disrespect for the state. Jasper loves supporting queer and trans beings in areas of meditation, spiritual daily practice, spell crafting, love, joy, and the sacred trans experience. I loved getting to connect with Jasper through this conversation and was so grateful for the opportunity to be in dialogue with another luminous marginal being. Jasper and I recorded this episode back in late August, and since then, they have made a few updates to their incredible Tarot for Top Surgery offering, which you're going to hear us speak about today. Stay tuned at the very, very end of this episode for a special update from Jasper. Enjoy. Jasper, welcome to In Search of Tarot. Thank you so much for having me. So you currently reside in what is the rightful homelands of the Eastern Band of Cherokee people um, Mm -hmm. in an area that is colonially known as the city of Asheville, North Carolina, which is also where I grew up um, and which is such a special place. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny having left there, you know, growing up, it was not what it is today. It was much less known and and, you know, even more conservative and. Um, but it's always, you know, just been so beautiful. And um, I always, whenever I go home, I'm always surprised by how much the mountains really do, you know, like call to me. There's that, my fiance and I kind of make fun of that uh, tourism phrase, the mountains call and I must go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. They do. Um, so I thought, you know, today it might be nice for you to kind of situate us in that place, you know, and I'm wondering how you personally would describe that place and how you would describe the innate magic that I do feel like really does reside there. Um, Particularly, you know, any queer magic that you feel, you know, really speaks to you or or resides in that place. Yeah, Um, specifically around the queer magic, um, there is definitely like some sort of depth, deep well, of queer resiliency in this area. Um, Like all of the resource sharing, how do we be sustainable people that I know in this area are like queers, anarchists, activists, drag queens, witches, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of those people, Mm -hmm. Um, apothecaries, those are all the people that are trying to mitigate some of the harm through gentrification of the area. Um, Mm -hmm. That's how I see queer magic showing up here. keeping each other clothed, fed, um, happy, dancing. And there's lots of invasive plants that make really good medicine. Um, To me, an invasive plant is inherently queer because it's seen as this thing that just can't get cut back no matter how hard we try. Mm -hmm. Um, So we start calling it like 
a weed and like a parasite and like all of these other things, but we forget that it has like healing properties that can be useful. Yeah, so those are some queer feelings I have about this area. Um, we also have the French Broad River, which is believed to be like 300 million years old. Mm -hmm. um, one of the oldest rivers in the world. And it's the rightful homeland of the Eastern Band of Cherokee people. And they are here doing their own sovereign thing among, you know, the land that is left to them. Yeah. Yeah. I Thank you. I, I really love that um, invasive species being queer. Um, I've yeah. Never, <laughs> yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but it's funny. I, I recently was reading a lot about dandelions and um, their resiliency and their like grit and determination to survive. And that's such yes. a great, that's so true. Like that is so comparable to the queer experience um mm, the yeah, grit really, I love the, that word the grit yeah <laughs> like just like southern grits you know uh -huh. um, <laughs> so you know along those lines talk to us about how magic and maybe specifically tarot found its way into your life both things magic and tarot have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember um I was given an oracle deck at the age of six. Um, and I was also being raised by a lot of gay men and women who had lost a lot during the AIDS epidemic. Um, and so they turned to a lot of really well-meaning eclectic new age fads as a way to deal with that grief and how to keep going with life afterwards. Um, and also trying to stay sober. Those those sorts of queers were the ones that were raising me. So mm -hmm. astrology, tarot, angel cards, all of those things found their way into my life in one form or another. Um, tarot, I think I got my first Rachel Pollock 78 Degrees of Wisdom book when I was like 15 maybe mm -hmm. like way like I couldn't understand everything in that book but I've been reading that book ever since and all of my growing pains have had some correlation with the tarot it's just been like it's my jam it's my language it's how I relate to everything and then when I was 13 the movie the craft came out mm -hmm. and I realized two things that I was a witch and that I was definitely gay and <laughs> <laughs> And then the um, I read the book Practical Magic and watched the movie Practical Magic when I was around 15. And for some reason, those three things, the Rachel Pollock book and those two movies, like I was like, okay, I'm definitely queer and I'm definitely a witch. How do I do this now? <laughs> yeah. And did you use, yeah. did you work with magic and or tarot as a way to get to know yourself better. You know, I, I love hearing from queer people like any ways that either of the, you know, magic and tarot were helpful in their journey to self-discovery. Yeah, um, I think as, you know, in my early teens and late teens, it was definitely one of the forms I tried on as like, who am I? Am I a punk? Am I a witch? Am I gothic? And like, you know, who am I? I'm 13. No idea. Um, and yeah, witchcraft and tarot are two of the things that really stuck for me. But when I finally came out as a transgender person, yeah, um, you know, you mentioned Cassandra Snow 
earlier and they wrote a book called Queering the Tarot. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually found that book in a witch shop when I was like feeling very confused about, okay, this is who I am, but I don't know how it fits into my life. And mm -hmm. their book basically jumped off the shelf and into my hands. And I was like, oh, oh, I can like, this is the first time I have seen the word queer and tarot together. This is mm -hmm. a thing. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And since then finding other queer tarot readers to take classes from, um, the more I have looked at it that way, the more I have, like, like I get these tingles in my shoulder and my ear and I'm like, okay, this is a message coming in. Like I can feel my body waking up. I can feel where my intuition lives when it's speaking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there was something about relearning the tarot through a queer lens and be coming back to my body and hearing those psychic messages again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, and let's talk about that because you said relearning and that's something that I'm always questioning and, and curious about, you know, with, you know, more marginalized identities coming to tarot, you know, tarot has some very majoritized stories that can be mm -hmm. told through it, you know, some very cishet narratives that have been attached to it for a long time. Yeah. And I'm always questioning for myself whether it's true that we have to learn the rules in order to break them, you know, the old axiom of that, or if there is maybe another way of learning the tarot and the rules of the tarot that don't have anything to do with that cishet narrative, you know, and so mm -hmm. that we're not, so that we're not sort of faced with having to deconstruct it later, you know, so what, what was your journey with that? And how do you feel about that question? Yeah, I kind of wish that I had learned the queer way before I learned the common hierarchical binary way with tarot and with magic. Um, with the type of magic that I had access to, there was a lot of emphasis on anima and animus, male and female, god and goddess, um, internal, external, passive, aggressive, you know, like light and dark, all the, everything is binary. Um, <laughs> so like, I got really lost in the like, okay, everything has to be lined up in a certain order so it can work like a battery with the positives and negatives facing the right way. But then like, so if I had been able to just learn like, okay, the element we water, it's not feminine per se, like it's queer, it's always changing. It depends on the, you know, the container that's holding it. And I think I would have been able to appreciate much more nuance and subtleties and also experienced like less stress around change and unlearning and yeah I kind of wish I didn't have to unlearn the heteronormative patriarchal capitalist way of doing things ever <laughs> but especially in my magic and my tarot <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even know really if that's possible, you know, given the world yeah. that, we, that we live in, but it's just something that I always think about and, and talk about, you know, is just like, do we really have to learn the rules to break them or is there, you know, another way? Um, and obviously yeah. I'll never know because I, I was the same. I learned through that same lens and then fractured off from there. So I also wonder like, is that, is that a necessary part of the journey, you know, but I, I sort of don't want to believe that it is, you know? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so thank you for that. 
Yeah, well, I think that also, if you look at the rules and then you look past the rules and how they originated, you're going to end up coming down to this like this foundation that was queer to begin with mm-hmm. um, until somebody like you know the Rider Waite deck um, was commissioned by two straight men who were very p- much part of like a hierarchical system. Um, so that is the change that happened to those cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gerald Gardner was a white man who came upon a tradition that already existed and rewrote it and called it Wicca. You know, like there was, there's like, there's always something queer that came before the rules. It's kind mm-hmm. of how I feel about it. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. I mean, I'm I'm working on a project right now that really speaks to that, and and. Yeah, and even recently came across um, the concept of chaos as a deity, and like the yeah. queerness, the queerness of chaos, you know, and and yeah, I I, I love that so much. Um, in your bio on your website, you write that your work is defined by open-hearted ethics, neurodivergent experiences, and a blatant disrespect for the state. <laughs> which is a powerful and and awesome statement. So I wondered if you would just kind of, you know, open that up a little bit and speak a little bit more about that and how you define your work. Yeah, I love talking about that stuff. Um, I guess we'll start with the the neurodivergent experiences part. Um, so I, my current formal diagnoses are PTSD and ADHD, which means that even with like medication and accommodations, it's impossible for me to function in a way that like typical life requires. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot to be said about the intersection of the autistic experience and the trans experience as well. Um, I've learned so much about this lately because I have a non-binary child who's also autistic and um there's so many new studies lately that like there is a significant overlap between neurodivergent and trans and queer if you have 30 people in a room um that are all queer and trans probably half of them are going to be neurodivergent and have sensory sensory processing issues Mm. So if I'm an intersexual, intersectional feminist who is also queer, that is something I really have to look at. Like if I am planning a meditation class that is specifically for trans and queer people, then I have to bring fidget toys. I have to bring headphones. I have to bring like weighted blankets, you know, like I have to think about how to make these people comfortable in all of the other ways that they show up in the world too. Mm -hmm. And then... The open-hearted part, um, different religions have different values and principles and creeds that they work with. Um, And when I came out as trans and a trans witch several years ago, I decided to write my own code and I call it the code of 13. Mm. Um, So it begins and ends by saying, above all else, a witch is led by their honestly open heart. And that's just kind of my take on perfect love and perfect trust. Like I'm never, my, my intentions are never going to be pure, but as long as I'm honest about, like, none of us are, none of us are pure. Let's just go. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, 
Like there's a little bit of selfishness in all of us all the time. But if yeah. I am honest about where my intentions are coming from and leading with an open heart that, you know, like the foundation is compassionate curiosity, then there's going to be a lot more. And then the last part, the blatant disrespect for the state. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our government just has like a consistent history of putting profits before people and the people I have respect for the most and want to work with and be in community with the most are usually the ones that have been like pushed into the shadows and the margins and criminalized just for existing. So like the deeper my love becomes for like the planet and magic and this community of people on the margins, the more I just have like curmudgeon disdain for this state. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really understand that. I was actually going to ask this next. Like, I feel like for me, the the more I le have leaned into my queerness, my non-binariness, the things that make me marginal, the, the angrier I do feel towards, you know, that centered position and that centered place mm -hmm. of power, you know? And I think that's okay. I mean, I think I want to like notice my own resistance to like, feeling angry, you know, because mm -hmm. we sort of are really often told that anger is a problem, you know, and, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm also right now, I'm about a month out away from my wedding and I'm having a lot mm. of, a lot of things coming up around why am I entering into this system that wasn't really made by or for me, you know, mm -hmm. am I just conforming, you know, what does that mean? Um, so I don't know, I don't really have a question necessarily, but I definitely understand that feeling of, anger. And sometimes I'm just like, I just want to reject just everything, you know, that's not queer. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. push it away. And I, and sometimes I fantasize about living a life where I do just kind of act as if it's not there, but obviously we can't at the same time. And we can't yeah. try as we might, we can't resist it. We can't ignore it. It, it, it owns kind of the world, you know? So I don't mm -hmm. know, do you have anything to, to add to that? Oh my gosh. I think about this stuff all the time. One of the ways I comfort myself when I come to these sorts of thoughts is that like, I can, so like, for example, if we take anti-capitalism, like I can talk, learn, teach, practice anti-capitalism in so many ways all day, every day. And during that same day, I have to survive the capitalist system that is like, give me your money or die. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and that is, that is the complexity that we are all holding. Um, I don't remember who said this, but it was one of my favorite things ever said was like, this is a, this is a place where we get to learn to embrace the paradox. Mm. Um, so congratulations, by the way, for about to get married. Thank you. Um, I think that's so exciting. And I do understand what you're talking about. Um, so I'm engaged um, and it's going to be the second time I've ever been married. And my the first time I was married was like, dreadful. Why would I ever want to do that again? <laughs> but the answer is I have met somebody so amazing that I do want to like have a ritual, have a public display of affection, have this like 
this commitment ceremony to this person that I think is like just so badass. I want everyone to know how much I love them, you know? Yeah. Um, so we are all creatively breaking away from the systems that no longer serve us while those systems still have a lot of control over our lives. And there's yeah. not a perfect way to do it. One way is not more moral than the other. Like this is just, this is the dance we're all doing right now. You know? Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of something, a piece of advice that I got one time in regards to my career and like work, um, which was like, whenever you go into a difficult meeting, for instance, um, sort of asking yourself, okay, what do I want to get out of this? You know, like, what's my objective? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And if I really want that, am I willing to, you know, be, be silent or do certain things that maybe I don't necessarily like want to do, but I know that in the end, it's going to kind of get me, you know, what I want. And yeah. I guess it's kind of making me think about like, it's, it's hard sometimes to like, like, I think that we shouldn't feel like we have to use our lives to only be statement making vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like sort of really making sure that like, okay, but like what actually makes me happy, you know? And like, like you're saying, like my partner actually makes me happy and our love actually makes me happy. And the idea of having a wedding, you know, in which we do have our love validated and affirmed by the people closest to us makes me feel really happy, you know, and sure, maybe there are some ties in subconsciously of sort of the story I was told since birth of like, we all have to get married or that that's the Mm -hmm. ultimate, you know, goal. But at the end of the day, like, if that brings me happiness, like I, I need to let myself have that, you know, and not sacrifice just everything to make a statement all the time, you know, or to fight against, Mm -hmm. um this system you know um but the balance point of that is very tricky I think you know yeah and I think that's where being led by your honestly open heart comes in Mm -hmm. like um if you are taking apart the system that you were raised in and questioning every little bit about what you were taught there are going to be some parts in there that actually do make you happy possibly, or you do actually agree with or want for yourself. Um, I always knew I wanted to have a child. And that is like a completely heteronormative AFAB thing to think you want. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, within my own queerness, I had to really pick that apart and be like, do I just think I want this? Or do I really want this? Um, Yeah, and it turned out that having a child was very, very much something that I wanted which is ridiculous. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, and uh, also congratulations to you on, on your engagement as well. So I, I want to dive into a conversation that you had recently on Instagram with the gender doula, um, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. Um, I encourage everyone to go find that. Um, and, And the two of you spoke about the spiritual channel that gets opened through the act of being trans. So will you, will you share Mm -hmm. some of that with us? So I just very randomly interview other magical queers. I think are awesome. And I just give them an opportunity to nerd out for 20 minutes about whatever they're feeling that day. Um, And so far, my favorite interview has been with Eli, the gender doula, follow him on TikTok. He's a total perfect angel. Um, (laughs) And I think what he said was, 
trans people have an opportunity to connect to the divine that is specific to trans people. Um, and how I feel about that statement is basically a trans being that is in a trans body has a specific sacred knowledge that isn't available to cis people. Um, and there's evidence of this within like the history of a lot of different indigenous cultures. Um, I like to say that the gender binary only exists within white supremacy, um, but that is like something I've decided on anecdotal evidence. I'm not actually a researcher. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the way that I experienced that is um, the more I peek past the veil of the myth of gender, the more I am able to like get into that super conscious waters. Like right now, what I'm picturing as I'm talking about this is the high priestess card. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, she's got that veil back there and she's like, um, you're actually gonna have to learn a whole bunch before you can look past this veil, come back later. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, for trans people, some of that veil doesn't even exist. There's like this direct channel. Mm -hmm. um, there's an, an, an innate knowing that some of the realms we take for granted aren't actually real. The truth is there is no spoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I think that this is one of the reasons that queer people and trans people often can be found in magical spaces or psychic spaces. I also think that there's a very special magic that can be that can be engaged with when it's just a group of trans people practicing magic versus like a bunch of cis people practicing magic. Um, our bodies hum differently is the mm. best way I can describe that. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of what we were talking about earlier about, do you have to learn the rules to break them, you know, and, and you're yeah. sort of, you know, you're, and you just said, you know, the high priestess sort of says there's certain things you have to learn before you can peek behind this veil, but then you're saying, but for trans people, you know, that connection is faster, you know, and is more mm -hmm. immediate. Yeah. Yeah. And I only have my own trans experience to, you know, back that up, but that is how I yeah, a lot, and that might be why a lot of us um, have sensory issues as well, because we are um, taking in more ethereal information than the average bear. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I do think there's an unlocking though, maybe that can, that happens of um, validating that humming, you know, that you're speaking to. Yeah. Because, you know, until you until you're told somehow that no that is valid that 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 sense that you have or that feeling that you have you know you you may just want to push it away you know until mm -hmm. you're sort of told no lean into that you know and then and then that connection can come through and and you're like oh wow this was here the whole time and it's actually very strong you know but yeah. but at first you know we're sort of binarily placed and and sort of told to maybe push that aside or something's wrong with that or you know whatever yeah um i think of it 
you know that old classic book we all had to read the giver or something mm-hmm. like that where everybody only sees in black and white and then the kid takes a bite of a red apple or something mm-hmm. <laughs> um or the movie pleasantville does that yeah. too the black and white turning into color um like that's kind of how i feel as a trans person is that i am just a different color that doesn't show up on the black and white screen If you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please consider supporting In Search of Tarot by becoming a member of our Patreon community. There you'll receive weekly mystic missives discussing any number of philosophical, tarological concepts, along with discounts to upcoming classes and workshops, and invitations to attend our monthly tarot hangs on Zoom. The financial support we receive through Patreon is the only way that we're able to pay our incredible guests who join us week after week to share their knowledge and life stories with all of you. We are so appreciative of our existing patrons' generous support, and we invite you to join them at patreon.com slash insearchoftarot. So let's move now into like a little bit more tarot-centric talk. Uh, So, you know, this is just something fun that I thought to do this season. It's season five, um, feels like a a big anniversary. And so I thought, you know, well, the fives in tarot are not everyone's favorite moments. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they they get a bad rap. Um, They can feel tension-filled. Um, so I just wanted to hear, you know, how you think of the fives, um, what, what, what you, what they bring up for you, how you teach them or, you know, what you've learned about them over the years. So I describe fives as the feeling you get when you're like, you're going about your day, maybe you're brushing your teeth and all of a sudden a really embarrassing memory from 10 years pops up and you're like, cringing while you brush your teeth (laughs) like that's fives energy for me fives very much have to do with growing pains with shame with um shadow energy grief conflict um parts of ourself we really don't want to look at like um Like the five of wands, for example, like having to identify which boy with a stick am I right now? (laughs) Like I am one of these. I just have to be honest about that. Um, Yeah, and that we all have fives in us. We all experience fives, little fives and big fives. Um, Yeah, but the way I teach it mostly has to do with grief and conflict. And I don't necessarily mean it has to be conflict with another person. There are so many different ways to have conflict. But I think the the important part about the fives is to not, like you said, they get a bad rap. Um, And I think they're seen as like a bad card or an annoying card or a negative card. but when you're doing shadow work, like nothing, like nothing uncomfortable is wasted. Um, that's kind of how I feel about the fives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also something about the five being in the middle, you know, makes me think about like yeah. the, the middle way or, you know, non-binariness, honestly. And, yeah. and I, I was actually going to ask you this question earlier. Um, sometimes I think a lot about the word inconvenient um, around like queerness and non-binariness, you know, because it is inconvenient um, for 
the majority, you know, to maybe mm. examine these things that don't work for everyone, to change the wording that they use or to change their practices. I mean, even when you were speaking earlier about the way that you teach for neurodivergent students and that you bring, you know, certain instruments and, and certain items with you, you know, to accommodate for that. Someone that, you know, doesn't have neurodivergence might find that inconvenient, you know, and, and so, mm -hmm. and it's also inconvenient to hold two ideas at once, you know, and to sort mm -hmm. of say, there's not a right answer, you know, it's not yes, and it's not no, it's somewhere in the middle. And I kind of feel like maybe that is also in the fives, you know. Yeah, inconvenience is definitely a part of five, for yeah. sure. And I also think adding to that, like, it is like substantially inconvenient to be a trans person and a queer person in this world. Like, I am inconvenienced by it all the time. <laughs> like when I go to grocery stores and the clerk is like, ma'am, sir, uh, um, here's your change. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so I'm, ha you know, I'm coming up against that five energy of inconvenience all the time just because I stopped trying to be a cis woman, which was also really inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like, um, yeah, inconvenience in five. That is a really good connection. I like that. Yeah, because it doesn't have to necessarily be negative. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like it's it's inconvenient, but maybe it also opens up a lot of other possibility, you know, when you when yeah. you enter into that inconvenience, like that middle middle way, you know. Um and then on your blog, I saw that you have written pretty extensively about the queens in the tarot. Mm, um, yeah. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the queens and if there, I don't know if there's one queen in particular that you most enjoy or mm. connect with or, you know, any way that you want to speak about the queens. Yeah, you know, I wrote those blogs a while ago, so maybe my view of the queens has changed, but um I see queens as guardians. I see queens as protectors, warriors. Um, there's this idea within the tarot that the kings are like externally leading by example and facilitating and that the queens are more receptive, doing more like of the internal labor, working from the inside out, that kind of stuff. Um, that's kind of flipped for me. like the um the queens are very much protecting who they care about from the outside in as well they want um you know what i think of the queens i think of the queens as like a maternal figure that's not afraid to challenge you like my mom's voice is coming into my head and her being like, honey, do you know I can smell your bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what a queen is to me. Um, and with queer culture, I feel like queens are important. Um, drag queens were actually a really foundational part of my, um, of my life, my formative years. I had a drag queen as a babysitter when I was a quick kid and I learned a whole lot from her and that's amazing um yeah there's a lot to be said about again the grit of drag queens within the lgbtq plus community 
Um, so that energy is definitely really present whenever queens come up in a reading for me. I, you know, it's funny, I'm realizing in this conversation, so I recently listened to the Book on Fire podcast when they were mm. going through Caliban and the Witch. Um, and through that, I learned about like the birth of capitalism and the way that when capitalism was born, it sent men out of the home to work and positioned women as being in the home. Whereas before mm -hmm. everybody had just been working in the field, everybody had just been doing all the same things basically. And, and actually women were even merchants. Um, there was a lot more, it's not to say that women were not treated differently than men, but it, but it was as far as career wise, there wasn't that like juxtaposition, you know, and I'm just kind of realizing in this conversation, I've never thought about this before, but you know, like the page and the night, I mean, those are different occupations. So there's kind of a way that you can explore that separate than gender, but queen and king is literally just a gendered form of a yeah. leader. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not like a queen does anything differently than a king necessarily in terms of something that isn't related to gender, you know? So mm -hmm. I've never thought about that, but it, it really, in a way, it may, I don't know, it just makes me wonder as we continue to progress forward, hopefully in our thinking about gender, what that will mean for those two cards, like in the tarot, because in a mm -hmm. way, I'm just like, I don't know what the difference is really between a queen and a king, you know? Yeah, the, yeah, the difference is very fluid. I think um, to be tarot specific, um, when you look at the temperance card and the angel is pouring fluid from one cup to another, um, and it's kind of like in this anti-gravity <laughs> way that they're doing it. Um, that is the energy of the king and the queen. They're like flexing in and out of each other all the time. They're more like a figure eight than a dot over here and a dot over here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, I also think that the difference between the king and the queen is patriarchy. And that's really important to name when we're giving people tarot readings because we are giving people tarot readings who exist in a patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. So like where a king is placed and where a queen is placed can give me a lot of information in a reading about how this person is suffering under patriarchal systems. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so you have this incredible offering, um, called tarot for top surgery, which is actually yeah. kind of how you first came into my life. You reached out about it. And, um, I would love for you to tell us about that offering and how people can get involved with that. Yeah. Tarot for top surgery is my favorite offering. Um, so it's an ever evolving team right now. It's me and my friends, Jess and Lou, who are incredible incredible tarot readers, incredible queers. Um, so the way to access it um, is to just go to the website and hit the T for T link. Um, you ask a question, pay $30, and then within a week, a three card reading via email will show up in your inbox. Um, and we take all of those proceeds and we put them in a savings account. And when we reach a thousand dollars we release it to somebody who is trying to raise money for their top surgery um 
I actually created this project as a way to fund my own top surgery, which I had back in May. I'm three months post top right now. It's amazing. <laughs> um, like getting on the internet and begging for money is demoralizing. Yeah. And a lot of people have to do it for health reasons. And a lot of people do it for gender affirming surgeries. And about 60% of GoFundMe's for gender affirming surgeries don't make it to their goal. So that is why I started Terror for Top Surgery. I want to mitigate some of that, like, some of that stress, some of that dehumanizing hustle that you have to do just to like receive a surgery that could be life-saving. Another key part there is that like 46-ish, I think 46 is the last number I read on some study, but 46% of queers and trans people live in poverty. And of course that depends on race and class and other factors. So we are like, we're already fumbling around trying to make it. And then we have to go through these bureaucratic hoops to get surgeries to make our bodies match who we feel we are. Um, mm. It's just a messed up system and I want to help. <laughs> yeah. I want to tarot. So like. <laughs> it's such a great idea. I mean, it's incredible. And um, can, can people also reach out to you to be considered to be someone that the funds go towards? Like, how do you, how do you find the people that you end up giving the money to? Yeah, I haven't created a link for that yet because we are working towards our first $1,000 to give somebody. Um, but I do plan on just releasing the, um, so it's tarotfortops at gmail.com is the the address that the team uses. And then eventually there will be, um, you could either just ask me through the patron link or there will be a link on my website that people can just add their name. Amazing. Um, very cool. So so to close out, I've, I think this season, um, again, because it's an anniversary, I'm kind of yeah. uh, wanted to come up with a, a common question to ask all of my guests. And the question that came up is, you know, because the podcast is called In Search of Tarot, I'm wondering mm. what you personally are searching for right now in your life. What am I personally searching for right now in my life? Um, another label that I like to put on myself is community chemist. Mm. Um, and right now what I'm searching for in my life is a way to keep that community sustained and happy and healthy and together um, in ways that like feel good and spacious and joyous and creating more rest. Um, I think especially after years of a pandemic where we are all like going through different like existential discombobulations, I just want to create more space for pause and joy. Yep. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good to me. Um, amazing. Well, Jasper, tell people how they can find you and follow you um, and work with you and, and all of that. Yeah, I am at Queer Conjure on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I somehow miraculously got banned from Facebook, so I'm not on there anymore. <laughs> wow. Um, and at Queer 
Conjure on Patreon. And I also have a newsletter through my website at queerconjure.org. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me and, and sharing all this with, with all of us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Nick, it's Jasper. I hope this finds you well. So this is an audio recording about some changes that I am making with tarot for top surgery. So I have a Patreon community and um, within that community, I have started making some financial transparency statements. Um, and I talked a little bit about how funding for my personal top surgery debt is just not going well. And after spending a lot of time at my altar about it, I'm remembering that creative financing requires flexibility and adaptability. So I'm trying something different. Um, the other day, I created a savings account that is solely for the T4T scholarship fund. It's one of those apps that takes a small amount of an individual's checking account every day and essentially hides it away for a specific goal. Every time a T4T reading is finished, I take $14.50 out of my checking account and add it to the scholarship fund. PayPal takes $1.54 and I keep $13.96. This system also means that all of my Patreon supporters are helping T4T grow every day. And the supporters signed up at the $17 tier are adding an additional $7.50 every month. Yeah, so while my life feels full and abundant, I technically exist below the poverty line. Um, paying myself for the work I do is crucial. Sometimes I forget that because I really love offering my heart and soul to my community as a witch every day. Um, but if I can't afford to feed myself and my family, then I'm not going to be able to do anything, much less like show up to my community as their witch. Um, yeah, so I'm going to continue to be transparent about where the TT, <laughs> the T for T money is going. And I just want to thank everyone for the gracious and loving support they offer every day. Um, I mentioned the $17 tier on Patreon. Um, this tier is for monthly contributions to the T4T scholarship program, which I just said. Um, you'll, uh, the patrons will have access to everything the other tiers have, plus they'll be able to submit questions in advance for Tarot Gonza, which is live recordings of the T4T team answering Tarot questions, usually through an Instagram live. And they will have access to teaching materials, notes, and slideshows created by me. And they will have access to bonus content by queer witches who are part of the T4T team. It's going to be meditations, poetry, community card readings. Um, so yeah, lots of really wonderful stuff for people who want to make monthly contributions to Tarot for Top Surgery. Um, the $30 three card readings are still available. And we have 
three members of the team right now that I kind of wanted to give a shout out for. So we have Jess, who is at Sealed in the Stars on Instagram. We have Lou, who is All My Love Lou on Instagram. And we have Sherry, who is that at that hoodoo lady on Instagram. So those are the people that will be helping me out with the bonus content on Patreon. All right, I think that's it. I hope that you're well, and I really love all of the early releases you're putting on Patreon. I am listening to them while I wash my dishes and clean my house. It really adds some companionship and magic to my days. Thank you so much for everything you do. Talk to you soon. Bye. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore, and you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.